Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as the kids head back with uh, Michelle this morning, let me invite you to take your Bible and go to Romans chapter 13 today. All right, Romans 13. And uh, we are going to look at, uh, now I've, I've made a slight change in the, in the uh, title there, all right? So uh, rather than the Christian in politics, as, as I was kind of studying after I already turned this in, I, I made a slight change. So we're going to talk about the gospel and politics. Now, this is not something that I would normally just pick up on and say, hey, this sounds like fun, all right? But um, in, this, in this series, you asked for it. Well, you asked for it, all right? So, um, you know, so far we've looked at walking in the Spirit. We've looked at uh, biblical church leadership. And then, yes, today, the gospel and politics. And next week, we'll wrap up this little short series uh, by simply asking, what is a disciple? If we want to be a church that says that we uh, make disciples who make disciples, it's important to define terms. What do we mean by disciple? That's where we'll be next week. And then uh, after that, on the 16th, we'll begin the Gospel of Mark, where we are going to be for, uh, well, a long time. All right, that's all I can say there. So the question we have this morning is, is this, how do we, as believers, live under imperfect earthly governments? Right? How do we, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, live under imperfect earthly governments? And so the, we're going to wade into some interesting territory. I had an old uh, Baptist pastor who told me one, t- one time there are two things that a Southern Baptist preacher should never talk about. Religion and politics. Right? We're diving right into both of them this morning. Now, now let me be clear, right? Uh, this is not going to be a sermon um, about politics as much as it is about how the gospel affects how we view politics, okay? Uh, so if, if you're wanting me to tell you who to vote for or who not to vote for, I'm sorry. That's not happening here, uh, all right? That's not, not the purpose this morning. We're going to ask, what does the gospel have to say? What does the Bible have to say about how we as believers are to relate to human government? And so honestly, the, the principles we're going to look at this morning in, in the Bible are true here in the United States, but they would also be true in the UK. They'd be true in Sweden or in Venezuela. They would even be true in China or Iran or North Korea. These are the biblical principles for living under earthly governments. And so let me, let me simply begin by saying believers have always lived under imperfect earthly governments. Always. There's no other kind of human government. Now, I am kind of partial to what Winston Churchill said, where, which is democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. Okay? I'm, I, 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 I identify with that one, right? But, but we've always lived under imperfect earthly governments and imperfect human rulers. Okay? And yet what we're going to see this morning is that God has established government for our good. Now, it's not to say that every government everywhere always does goods to its people. We clearly know that's not true. But what we're going to see is that God's design, God's plan for government, and, and then how we as believers live in imperfect earthly 
systems, all right? So if you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 13. And then if you, if you want to turn to 1 Timothy 2, we'll be there at the very end. But we're going we're gonna to focus most of our time this morning on Romans chapter 13, which will show us how we live as followers of Christ under earthly government rule. Let's stand as we read the word the Lord's given to us this morning. This is Paul writing, and he says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists, who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you this morning with, with, an, with a big task, one that no doubt is controversial in, in our day and age, and that's simply to ask, how do we relate to an imperfect human government? Thank you for your word. I thank you for the principles that you've given to us. And I pray this morning as, as I proclaim your word, you would give me clarity. You would give all of us wisdom and discernment to see how we apply these principles in our lives, day in and day out, as we relate to the human authorities that you've placed over us. Speak through your word this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. All right, so right off the bat here, first part of the first verse, we see this. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Now that word everyone is a complex Greek term that means everyone. Okay? There's, there, there, is, there is not an exception here, right? Everyone, let everyone submit. Now, certainly that's true of us as believers. Paul's writing to believers in the church, in, to the church in Rome. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Now, if you'll notice, there's not really a caveat there, is there? But what if I disagree with them? What if I think they're immoral? Or what if I think they're incompetent? Doesn't that give me an out? Well, no. Right? Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. And, and this word that is translated, at least in the Christian Standard Bible, submit, it's a military word. That, that may or may not surprise you. Here we are in a, in a military community. And, and it's, it's a word that would refer to a soldier's absolute obedience to his commanding officer. Commanding officer gives an order. The soldier says, yes, sir. Carries out that order. That's the word that's used here. 
So what we have here really are orders from Almighty God to submit to earthly governments. Now, submit is really not a popular word to us, right? Maybe it makes us nervous when we read uh, in, in the Bible, wives, submit to your husbands, and it might, it, it might really uh, make us nervous or even infuriate us when we read, submit to the governing authorities. After all, if you look back at our history, our, our nation was founded on the notion of rebellion. And, and in the last uh, 200 plus years, We've not really gotten over that, right? I mean, we, we like that. There, there's this kind of built-in, ingrained American spirit of rebellion and, and shaking our fist at authority. And so when we, when we hear this word submit, our first reaction might be to kind of go, well, how dare you tell me to submit? And yet that's exactly what God's calling us to do. Now, clearly... This is not unconditional obedience, okay? Because ultimately, we answer to a higher authority than any human government. But the idea here is that as often as we can, we are to submit to the governing authorities that God has placed over us. In fact, I would go so far as to say that submission and obedience to earthly governments is the standard. It's the norm while rebellion would be the exception. This is how our statement of faith, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, this is how it uh, puts this. Civil governments being ordained by God, being ordained of God, it is the duty of Christians to render loyal obedience thereto in all things not contrary to the revealed will of God. All right? the duty of Christians to render loyal obedience thereto in all things, not contrary to the revealed will of God. So in other words, if the Bible doesn't directly speak against it, if, if the Bible doesn't give us ample reason to say, no, I can't do that, our, our standard, our, our default position is we submit. We, we want to live in obedience to the governing authorities in submission, in obedience to the Word of God. All right? Now, that, that will naturally lead us to ask, well then, what would a government issuing a law that's contrary to the revealed will of God look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. And we actually have, a, we have a, an example of that in Acts chapter 4, where, where the religious authorities... Um, were commanding Peter and John to do something that was contrary to the revealed will of God. And this is what happens in Acts 4, starting in verse 13. It says, when they observed, the, the religious leaders, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's a sermon in and of itself that I don't have time to get to, all right? But, but man, that, that'll preach. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. In this case, religious authorities, which, which would fall in, certainly in this day and age under governing authorities, the, the high priest and, and others ordered Peter and John to no longer speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, clearly, this is contrary to the revealed will of God. Since Jesus himself, right, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission commands us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe everything he's commanded. So here you have authorities instructing Peter and John to do something that is contrary to the revealed will of God. And, and their response is, is basically, look, um, I, it's, it's up to you to decide how, what, what to do with this. But we have to obey God rather than men. And they go right on preaching. So, believers, we are to submit to earthly governments as often as possible. And then that, that takes us to our second point here, which, which really picks up in the second half of verse 1, and that is that earthly governments, the, the earthly governments that exist have been instituted by God. Pick up with me second half of verse 1. Actually, let's just start at the beginning of verse 1. Why not? It's one phrase. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Now, I've actually heard uh, some who profess to be theologians who would say, well, you see, this doesn't apply to the United States because we aren't a monarchy. This only applies to uh, those families who were who set up by God to rule. Uh, to which I think, you know, nonsense, all right? Because look, if, if we truly believe that God is sovereign, right, that he is completely sovereign over everything, then do we honestly think that he's, he just checks out when there's an election that happens? Like, he just throws up his hands and is like, well, I'm out, right? No, are you kidding me? Do we not believe that God can move in and through elections to put the leaders that he wants in place? Well, okay, then, this, then, then that leads to another question. What happens about wicked rulers? What, what, what do we do with that then? It's a good question. Causes us some struggles, right? So what, what, do we look, what do we do when we see leaders who don't set godly examples? Le leaders whom, and, and, and by the way, usually that happens when we didn't vote for them, right? Oh, that can't be God's man because I didn't vote for him, right? And, and to that I would simply say this. 
go and read the Old Testament. Go, go and read through First and Second Kings. And one of the patterns that you'll see there is there were far more rulers who were described as wicked than there were those who were described as good. And yet, God worked in and through wicked rulers to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes he used them for the good and the prosperity of his people. Often he used them for judgment against his people. First and Second Kings, it's, it's, it really is, it's fascinating reading. Now, certainly God also raised up prophets who called wicked kings to repentance. But even then, he didn't give them a blanket license for them to outright rebel or resist against the leadership. I, I like the way that one commentator put this. He said this, believers are called to a profound obedience to secular government. A profound obedience. So, probably the, maybe the question that's rising in your minds is, okay, are we ever given license to rebel against earthly governments? Well, yes. But we're only given license to rebel when government asks us to do one of three things. When, when government asks us to outright violate a command of God, we would have license to resist, to rebel. Government commands us to commit an immoral or an, an, an unethical act. We have license. Or if government commands us to go against our Christian convictions, and, and by the way, I put in parentheses here, informed by Scripture, not just by our personal preference. Okay? Personal, or against our Christian convictions, informed by Scripture, not just, well, I don't like that. That's a deep-seated religious belief. And I'm not going to stand for it. Can you back it up with Scripture? That, that's that's my, my question. Here's the last one. Maybe, maybe, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time because th this is probably the most controversial and, and the hardest one to swallow. Earthly governments exist for our good. Look at me at verse 3. Or 3 on down to the end of this passage in verse 7. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Paul says outright that government exists for our good. He says that rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So he's arguing here that earthly governments are used by God to keep evil at bay. Now, obviously, they don't completely stop evil. 
Some governments may even seem to increase evil, but generally speaking, governments keep evil at bay. Then in verse 4, he says that government is God's servant for your good. In fact, he says that twice in verse 4. Now, you might be interested to know that the word servant that's used here is the Greek word diakonos, from which we get our English word deacon. Paul describes government as a deacon, serving God for our good. And then he dives into taxes. And don't we wish he had just left this part off? Wouldn't that, man, that would be really convenient, right? Man, why has he got a medal like that, right? goes on to say, For this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servant, continually attending to these tasks. Now, I understand this is probably not a popular sentiment, and especially not as we inch closer to April 15th, okay? And yet, Paul gives us a command here. Believe it or not, we see the same thing in the example of Jesus who paid taxes himself. Matthew twenty two twenty one. this is what Jesus said. Give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. Remember, he, Jesus was approached by the, uh, by the religious authorities and asked, well, is it lawful to pay taxes? Hoping they were going to catch him one way or the other because if he said no, they could accuse him of being a rebel. And if they said yes, then if he said yes, then they could incite some uh, public response against him because people didn't like paying taxes in the first century as much as we don't like paying taxes now. So they come to Jesus. Jesus, is it lawful for us to pay taxes? And Jesus, in his way, says, well, bring me a coin. And they do. He says, whose image is on this? Well, Caesar's. Give then to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and God, what is God's? Now hold on, is, is, is he setting up some kind of dualism here and saying that, well, th- there are things that don't belong to God? No, not at all. What he is saying is that there are certain things that God has entrusted to earthly governments. And yes, taxes are one of those. So, file your taxes honestly, pay what you owe, and, and then, think about this, and then pray that God uses those monies for good. God, God uses those monies for His purposes in government. And this actually takes us to this final point here which is going to take us to 1 Timothy 2. So if you have your Bible, flip over there. It's going to be to your, to your right a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because this is, and, and this passage, by the way, I think gives us the key to doing everything that we just talked about. Because if you, if you heard this and you're like, you know, well, government, you read that government exists for our good, you, you might kind of be tempted to scoff at that and say, well, Paul did not understand government the way we see government, right? Paul, 
Paul didn't, Paul didn't know the circus that is Washington, D.C. right now. And I would remind you that as Paul's writing this, the Roman emperor is a man by the name of Nero. There are horrendous stories of Nero's persecution against Christians. Now it's hard to tell sometimes what exactly has been embellished and, and what's actually true about what he did, but the, the, the bottom line is Nero enacted a severe and violent persecution against Christians. And that's the ruler to whom Paul is writing to believers saying, submit to the authorities that are in place. In any way possible, submit to these authorities. Then we get to 1 Timothy. And this is what Paul writes. I want to read the same thing, verses, verses 1 through 7. I'm just going to read it all and then we'll, we'll talk about it. What we're going to see here is that believers are called to pray for earthly rulers. Paul writes, First of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul begins saying, I, I, I urge you to pray for everyone. And then specifically he mentions for kings and all those who are in authority. He says this is pleasing to God who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then number five, is, verse five is really important here. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity. And it's not the President of the United States. And it's not any king. It's the man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. A testimony at the proper time. And then Paul reminds Timothy, who was also a pastor, for this I was appointed a herald and apostle to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And as I do so, to pray for those in authority. Now, a couple weeks ago, the, our state convention, the Baptist Convention in New Mexico, hosted a, the, the first capital prayer dinner for our state legislators in Santa Fe. Now, for years, they hosted a prayer breakfast, um, but that, that kind of, you know, things tend to run their course after, after a while, and the, the prayer breakfast just kind of run its course. And so in thinking how to still host an event that would bless our state legislators, the leadership decided to host a capital prayer dinner. And they were very careful that they would not turn this into a partisan event. 
The only goal was to bless the legislators and to pray for them. Whether they had an R or a D or whatever other initial they had after their name, it doesn't matter. I wasn't able to go, but in in State Mission Board meeting last week, we heard a report from this. And and after the event, one legislator came up to one of the organizers and said, you know, everybody in Santa Fe, everybody that hosts an event wants something from us. Everybody. We get phone calls. We we, we get invitations to events where they they say they want to do something for it, but really it's, it's, it's an ulterior motive. We're going to feed you, but then we want you to do this for us. He said, this is one of the very few gatherings that just wants to do something for us. Just wants to pray for us. And that was a reminder to me that, you know, regardless of who we have representing us, that there, there's an immense pressure that comes with that position. There's a lot of stress that comes with that position. There's a lot of people tugging at them one way or the other. So my, my question is simply this. When, when, when's the last time that you just simply stopped to pray for our rulers? Pray for our president, to pray for our governor. Now, you want to talk about polar opposites in the political spectrum, there you got it. When's the last time that you stopped and prayed for our rulers that, that God would bless them? That God would give them wisdom? Because here's what I've seen. In, in the last 20 years, in, in the presidential office, we've seen the range of political beliefs. And you know what I've seen when, when, when there's a president in office who believers feel like they can support? It seems like there's a call to pray for them. There's a call. We need, to, we need to support him. We need to pray for him when we can. We need to get behind him. We should not criticize him ever. I've seen a lot of that. But when there's president whom we disagree with, I see a lot less of call for prayers. A lot more anger, frustration, venting. In fact, I've even seen in, 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 in almost comical situations. You know, social media is an interesting window to people's hearts. The last four years, I've seen a lot of people who will post things on social media saying that to criticize our current president is to uh, somehow be opposed to God and his plans. From the same people who would have no problem posting criticisms of President Obama. Folks, you can't have one you can't, you can't sit on one side of that fence and say, well, I can only support this president and we can only criticize those because what the Bible tells us is that the rulers who are in place are only there 
because God has put them there. So our job as believers then is to pray for our rulers. And, and can I tell you something? An angry political rant on Facebook is not likely to change very many minds. Okay? It's not likely that people will walk away from that going, you know, they made good points. And in the last three years, I've seen believers and, if I can be honest, I've seen some pastors who I, I think have done great harm to their ministries because they are sitting completely on one side of a, of a political fence rather than, from what I've seen, doing what Paul reminds Timothy here, that he's a herald of the gospel, not a political leader. So pray for our leaders. We're going we're gonna to pause and we're going to do that here in just a moment. Pray for our leaders. Whether you agree with them or not, whether you voted for them or not, Pray for them. You know, as we race toward November, the political climate in our culture is not going to get better. Don't get sucked in. Let, let, me, let me beg you. Don't, don't get sucked in. Pray. Pray for our leaders Pray for wisdom as we go towards November. If, you, if you've been here for any length of time and, and been here through any election, uh, my, my standard line is this. I'm never going to tell you who to vote for. Now, certainly, I have my own opinions. You, you want to come sit in my office? I'll, I'll, I'll share opinions with you. But, but listen, I, I don't want my political opinions to ever come in the way of the gospel. Never going to tell you who to vote for. I would say this, that in all of human history, we have a unique privilege and responsibility that we get to select our own leaders. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's a great responsibility that, again, God has entrusted to us as, as people, as a nation. Pray for our president. And listen, if there's a change in November or not, our, our president makes decisions on a daily basis that, that affect the course of this nation. It's not a job I envy. Meanwhile, whatever decision they make, the president makes, has about half the population that's going to be upset with him one way or the other. Pray for our governor. Same thing. She makes decisions on a daily basis, and our, our state legislators on a daily basis during their sessions that, that affect the life of us here in New Mexico. And every decision they make, there's a decent segment of the population that's going to be upset with them one way or the other. So pray for them. And then, as often as we can, submit to the rulers that God has placed over us. 
Let's trust that God in His sovereignty has people there for a reason. Now, maybe it's to awaken us. Maybe in some cases it is a form of judgment to awaken us to, to our, the sin of our culture and, and the, uh, the, the moral failings that are present. I think that's valid. But realize that no, no human leader would be in their position they were not put there by God. It's the clear teaching of Scripture. So let's pause as we close and pray for our leaders. Pray with me. Father, political discussions are always a, create, create a lot of tension. And it seems in, in the culture in which we live, we've, lost the ability to have civil discussions and civil disagreements. Father, I pray that's not true of believers. If I could zero that in, I, I pray that would not be true of our congregation here. That as people who've been saved and redeemed by you through the blood of Christ Jesus, that we would realize no, no person is beyond that saving grace. Therefore, I pray we would heed the words of Paul in 1 Timothy 2, that we would pray for everyone, that they might come to know you as Lord and Savior. Especially this morning, we lift up the governing authorities whom you've placed over us. both in Washington, D.C., and in our case here in New Mexico and Santa Fe. I pray that as, first of all, followers of Christ and then citizens of this nation and this state, that we would obey your commands to submit. Even when we vehemently disagree with decisions that are made by our rulers, we would Ask ourselves how we can be good citizens in this, in this climate in which we find ourselves. Even as we race toward tax season, that we would approach that not begrudgingly, but with a joyful obedience to your word to pay what we owe. Father, we pray for wisdom for our leaders. We know it's easy to get on social media or sit in a coffee shop or maybe just sit in our easy chairs and take cheap shots at leaders who are making decisions. Yet we know that each and every day they're faced with very difficult decisions that affect millions of people. So I pray before we criticize, we would come to your throne, lift them up to you. God, give them your wisdom. Remind us that no earthly leader is our Savior, and no earthly leader is Satan. Instead, help us to trust you. 
that you're in control even of elections. You're, you are in control over human affairs. So give us the patience when, when things don't look like they're going the, the way we want them to. Give, give, us, give us patience and faith. And yes, in those moments where we must resist because of laws that are contrary to the Word of God, that you would give us courage and boldness to stand on your truth. Ultimately, I pray as believers we wouldn't sacrifice our witness for the gospel on a political altar. God, remind us that at the end of the day, regardless of which side of the aisle we fall on, which side of the aisle our leaders fall on, our hope is in you alone. Give us wisdom as we navigate this culture that we find ourselves in. As we seek to live as believers, in imperfect earthly governmental systems. We ask all these things in the precious, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.